saying that we were going to get into the movies. Yeah, and I'm only going to get into a few of them because there were way too goddamn many for me to really be interested in telling you this clone version or this clone version in the early studio system. It, it's a good metric to know in a, in a story arc, where should I be? Well, there's Beast, I should step over here. Uh, yeah. Some point, at some point, I'm gonna have to sit down with you, like, and force you, like, pump you full of coffee and be like, no, okay, look. Uh, and are swiftly and brutally put down by the Minutemen who use bayonets to get their point across. Well done there. I'm good, Damien. And I'm also glad that I got your name right this time. I apologize for that one TikTok video. Men of this generation wound up serving a whole lot of them as a percentage of the population because of the war, because of a whole lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and actually, in his case, it was pre-war. But, but you know. I was joking. Did he seriously join the American Navy? He did. Fuck it. <laughs> hobbyist milestone i guess a uh, hobbyist parent milestone uh in that uh my son and i finished building our first model together um and there are some qualifications there because my son is five years old and the model in question was one that was a little bit more than a little bit uh more advanced than than one would expect a five-year-old to work on but he he helped me um and he was there as part of the process and um we we took the time to complete a model that um my my very good friend Alex gave to me actually several years ago uh that had sat in a box un unconstructed until now and uh so i have a uh, gundam model uh, now that I'm that I'm holding up to show to Damien, um, that that is now in a in a spot or was till I took it down to show it off, uh, was in a spot uh, on the shelf here in my office, um, and so yeah, got to got to spend some time doing that with him, and so he saw like how the clippers worked and sticking stuff together and when I'd get a sub-assembly stuck together and have him stick the sub-assemblies together and it was pretty cool. So working my way up to when he's a few years older, having him put together his first 40 K models. And then, then the cycle will continue. <laughs> the cycle of plastic addiction will, will be passed on to the next generation. Uh, so that's what I have going on. How about you? 
Well, I'm Damian Harmony. I am a uh, U.S. history teacher at the high school level up here in Northern California. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I play several D&D games uh, at off sequence from each other. So it's kind of like I'm only usually giving up one night every couple weeks because mm-hmm. um, that's how adults play. Although on occasion yeah. I end up with like two games in the same week. Yeah, totally fine. No problem. Yeah. My partner and I uh, absolutely encourage each other to go have fun without each other. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. and, uh, and also, you know, I, I'm encouraging her kids to play and they're having a lot of fun and my kids are playing and, and eventually mm-hmm. they'll meet, uh, right. in the game. Um, and I found a couple things to be true. Number one, in two of my games, uh, that I'm a player in, uh, I have affected the same accent and it's a, it's a really shitty Irish accent. Um, and okay. And it's uh you know just well no there 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 I'll be I'll be in the one game I'll be a bard and and I'll be uh, his name is Thyron you see and in the other game I'm I'm a, uh, a cleric and his name is Lorcan um and it's the same fucking voice but they're such wildly different characters um yeah that, uh, I have a lot of fun with it in both games other people have taken on accent without realizing it. Because I'm that forceful with it, I guess. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. And in one of the games, one of the players it kind of takes on a German kind of accent. <laughs> okay. Which then blends with the Irish, and he doesn't do it on purpose, and then the uh, DM kind of does a weird pigeon accent. Yeah. Um. So that's been fun. But uh, but that what stuff I, is viral. Like, oh, it like is. Chlamydia. It is. Yeah. Um, once one person at the table starts doing it. Yeah. So then on top of that, and there's only certain accents that spread like that. And I think yeah. it's because the lyricality of a bad Irish accent. Um, yeah. It's not a That's, good Irish yeah, accent. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you what part of the aisle it's from um, because nobody in Ireland talks with that accent. No. Um, no that being said, yeah. the thing that has actually interestingly spread tonight was in a, a group text conversation with one of the groups. One of the players just starts doing puns and going and going. And I'm bouncing back and forth with them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, of course, mm-hmm. I see somebody doing it. I'm like, oh, of course, I'm going to encourage you, right? Well, yeah. And then he ends it with, yeah, I've been doing the nighttime routine with my kids and, and I got to get them into the shower and stuff. I have no idea why I just started doing puns, though. And I was like, I can't say I have a problem with it. Carry on. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, which is good because that group is not the group because one of my characters, his um, we've been allowed to write our own. Uh, what do you call it? Backstory? Bonds, ideal. Oh, oh yeah. OK, OK. Well, in, in, in the character where he's a bard, um, he is addicted to making puns. So it's just written into the character. Um, oh, okay. But it's not that game in which somebody started punning. So it's kind of nice just to. Okay. Well, there you go. So. Cool. Um, and speaking of puns. Uh, yeah. I, I spoke with a friend of the show, uh, Professor Gabriel Cruz. Um, oh, yeah. And he said that um, he is angry that uh, our podcast on the history of puns has made him in any way sympathetic to people who make puns. So I'm out here doing the worst. So. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> on 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 your your statement about you know accents in game. Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> there are two occasions mm-hmm. on which um, I have I have consciously 
affected an accent for a character and that and that care and that and that has lasted for any significant period of time sure um and uh in one of those games i was uh playing a barbarian mm-hmm. and the um species of that character i i talked to the the dm of that game and i said i want to play uh a barbarian uh i i, I want to be a jaeger monster from girl genius okay. from the, from the webcomic girl genius and um all of the jaeger monster dialogue in the webcomic is written in a bad bad eastern european Oh, like un unrecognized. Like, where in Eastern Europe Eastern are you European. from? Vaguely yes. Eastern European, vaguely like, like Eastern the character German, I played Czech. When you and I first met, yeah, yes, yeah, that yeah. Was fun. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, for example, you know, Jaeger monsters within within Jaeger monster culture, uh, your your rank and importance and how much of a badass you are are indicated by the hat you wear. Okay. And so a compliment you might pay to another Jaeger monster <clears throat> would be, say, that's a nice hat. <laughs> you know, uh, any right. plan where you lose your hat is a bad idea, right? Um, and <laughs> you, you wind up sounding like uh, Professor Von Drake from from the from the Disney cartoons. Like, sure. you know, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you are an escaped scientist as part of Operation Paperclip. Like that sure. that kind of, you know, caricature. Um, and I wound up playing that one for, I don't know how many sessions and, and nothing happened there. I, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Everybody else who got the joke that, oh yeah, you're a Jaeger monster. It was like, well, you know, his stat line is a half orc, but he doesn't look like a half orc. He's like hairier and he's got this, that, and the other thing going on. So I had a lot of fun with that. Cool. That character wound up, wound up getting killed by an unfortunate critical hit, uh, <laughs> after a few sessions in another game. I played a character as a as a as a Scot, and and I tried really hard just to make the accent as as light and as you know not not be too overpowering and just keep it you know it's just it was his background. Right? You get all your all oh. your accents from Disney ducks. Well, a little bit, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Well, you know, in this in this case, I was actually trying to sound like uh, David Tennant when he's mm. when he's not not affecting an accent in a role. Uh, but I wound up, I wound up, you know, doing it with, with, with this kind of, you know, not, not a really hard, you know, accent or anything, but it was noticeable. Well, in mid session after like about, I don't know, eight or nine sessions of the game, um, I, I dropped out of character to say something to somebody else. And I literally had another player look at me. She looked at me across the table and she said, oh my God, is that what your real voice sounds like? (laughs) I said, yes. She said, please don't take this the wrong way, but that makes my heart hurt. <laughs> like how the hell can I not take that the wrong way? Right. <laughs> like, so yeah. Anyway, okay. total non sequitur. And I just ate up, I don't know how many minutes of our time, but yeah. Um, anything to delay, um, getting into <laughs> more Post for eugenics. we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah. oh my god we've now gotten into the 30s and oh now we're going into the 50s i'm oh, I'm skipping shit. oh we're just we're we're doing we're yes. just doing a time jump because okay. eugenics clearly had its day in the sun as an experiment as a governmental policy an aggressive yeah. one 
whereby they expanded throughout Europe and tried to enact it. Yeah. And, and we're unfortunately very good at carrying it out. Yeah. yeah. Now, after World War II, eugenics was tarnished by yes. the clear connection that to that new government in Germany that uh, Charles mm. M. Gady was writing about. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., eugenicists were, of course, unfazed because they're American eugenicists. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and they continued to pour money, time, articles, efforts, lobbying into the effort to increase eugenics policies and forced sterilization. They were still pushing that button hard. Um, All right. One could even say that they were more desperate to get their aims accomplished, given what history had dumped in their laps. Uh, it shifted, however, to an argument about intelligence and fitness in the night after the 1940s. And it was less overtly about head shape, Aryanness, and inherited criminality. So okay. replace criminality with intelligence. Okay, same, but same I mean, meaning, it's all it's all still code. there. But yeah, it okay. is. It is the, the dog. The dog whistle has changed very slightly in yes. in timber. And the goal, but the goalposts yeah. have moved. Yeah, but it's still the same points. Now a lot yeah. of this is because of just how murderous eugenics policies had been in German in Germany and how it was impossible to separate them from the racism that led to the Holocaust. Right. Intelligence rather than racial superiority plays better after world war two, after yeah. all the GI bill. Right. Now we're letting black and brown people into the colleges and we're letting yeah, first but, generation Americans but... into the colleges. So let's talk about ways to kind of select that out. But um, at yeah. that point in history, mm -hmm. um, I don't think African, I, I don't think black, uh, I was going to say African-American, but black, I don't think black veterans were, uh, were yet qualified for the, for the, uh, GI bill. No, but they were gaining access to, um, they had greater access to monies and okay. therefore greater access to public accommodations. Um, okay. And it was harder and harder to segregate okay. across the board. Now you had to get All creative right. with it. So culture. Uh, uh, well, yeah. And 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 you could, I mean, again, this isn't a one-for-one -one swap out. Plenty yeah. of places, it still played just fine. Um, yeah. One could still point to standardized tests and dropout rates and drug and alcohol dependency rates and literacy mm -hmm. rates and stuff like that without wow. having to say black. Um, yeah. or any other group that you want to target, right? Yeah. Uh, but also Italians and Irish folk were white enough now. Like you, yeah. you do start to see that. Um, culture rather than biology becomes the banner for eugenicists. Um, there were still plenty of people to advocate for eugenics, even for the same eventual goal. But now it's a slightly different path to get to that goal. Keeping people from breeding because their living conditions were bad, because they grew up with crime, because they were poor. That's the new path. It's not Lamarckian genetics so much as it is these people have had it hard enough. Let's let's help them to not have as many children in these conditions. So this way you can still argue for forced sterilization. But All right. now it's not genetic based. Right. Okay. Now, prior to World War Two, there's a man named William Shockley. Uh, who had worked in Bell Labs in New Jersey on solid-state physics and vacuum tubes. 
after he got his first patent for an electron multiplier, he ended up moving to Manhattan and working on radar technology and anti-submarine technology during World War II. Because of how okay. smart he was and how his efforts went towards saving U.S. lives, the War Department commissioned a report from Shockley in July of 1945 about casualty projections if an invasion of the Japanese mainland was to happen. Right. Now, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Famously, Shockley's conclusion was, quote, if the study shows that the behavior of nations in all historical cases comparable to Japan's has in fact been invariably consistent with the behavior of the troops of bat- in battle, then it means that the Japanese dead and ineffectives at the time of the defeat will exceed the corresponding number for the Germans. In other words, we shall probably have to kill at least 5 to 10 million Japanese. This might cost us between 1.7 and 4 million casualties, including 400 to 800,000 killed. That's that last part that matters the most to Americans. Right. Last part that matters as far as giving Groves the green light to drop atomic bombs. Yes. So that is Shockley's conclusion. Now, when the war ended, William Shockley focused on developing transistor technology. And while there's a lot of interesting intrigue that goes into that story, the part that matters for this particular podcast is that he's a brilliant electronics and physics guy who ended up going to California in 1953. He starts at Caltech uh, and then ends up in Mountain View in 1956 because Palo Alto was where his mother lived and she was old. Okay. As a result, William Shockley's reputation allowed him to recruit the best of the best to his new lab and company, which was the seeding of the ground for Silicon Valley being what it became. Okay. It's all because his mom's his mom was old and lived in Palo Alto. Okay. Anyway, as it turns oh. out, William Shockley was brilliant with science and electronics, but a total fucking prick to his employees. <laughs> And some why, of this, why does this not surprise me like at all? Right. Well, some of this has to do with the way that he'd gotten frozen out of getting credit for work on transistors back at Bell Labs. They basically okay. jumped from his shoulders and he's like, well, how come you guys are getting that credit? I designed the thing. Why is my name not in it? Okay. And the result of this was that eight of his most brilliant scientists that he hired uh, quit and set up something called Fairchild Semiconductor Labs which ultimately doomed Shockley's company to to dying. And I think it got bought up uh, with by Fairchild eventually. Okay. Um, but again, William Shockley was brilliant. It was known that he was brilliant and he was in California. Okay. And after his company folded, William Shockley joined on with Stanford University. You may have heard of them. Yeah. Now, while one of the top professors of engineering and applied sciences there he gained more and more notoriety for a field in which he had zero expertise, eugenics. He is the poster child of transferred expertise. Yeah. And he sets a tone for a whole bunch of tech bros to do the same thing nowadays. His brilliance Mm -hmm. in science led him to thinking that his amateur interest in genetics made him an expert on human intelligence on race science, and so on. And he described this work as the most important work that he could do for humanity and his career. Because of course he did. Yep. Because when you zoom out far enough, sure, you can, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
it's this becomes the main hook upon which uh william shockley hangs his eugenic hat uh and it's this aspect of it called dysgenic reproduction dysgenic yeah wow so according to shockley wow if a dysgenic yep if a higher rate of reproduction amongst what he considered measurably less intelligent people uh if if that went higher, there would be yeah. a commensurate drop in the average intelligence, which would lead to a decline of civilization overall. So if more dumb people fuck and have mm-hmm. kids, right, that's gonna dumb down our species and our civilization. I want you to remember Shockley's claim here on dysgenics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now William Shockley also, in addition to being a brilliant. Uh, physics guy and electronics guy, shit that I could never possibly hope to understand. He also advocated for rigid segregation between black people and white people. Because of course he did. Mm-hmm. Because now this, of course he did. This might be due to the fact <laughs> that when he grew up, think about what doors were closed to black people entirely, right? Yeah. He yeah. may have just had some of the most minimal exposure to black people of any academic at the time. Um, or sadly, it actually might have just been typical for for academics at his time. I didn't find the research going either way. Yeah, yeah, it so. could be, yeah. Now, what would a brilliant academic who has some really weird views on eugenics and shit like that do with himself in the 1960s? Of course, hit the punditry circuit. Um, <laughs> He does this. He becomes oh the TV God, expert no. on the shit. Oh, jeez. So it culminates in 1974. So we're going to go all the way to 74 now okay. uh, on a debate where William F. Buckley is moderating. Okay. So okay. there is because, a debate. Because of course he is. Of course, there's a debate between Shockley and psychiatrist Francis Luella Welsing. Her name is listed in a bunch of different ways because she took on a married name and then she dropped it. So, but the most yeah, common right. and uh, con- uh, consistent one I found was Frances Luella Welsing. Now, Frances Luella Welsing was a black woman who was a physician and an associate pref- professor out of Harvard in the 1960s. Think about the rarefied air she's in, right? Being yeah. a black woman who is a physician and an associate professor at Harvard. In okay. 1970, Welsing had developed the Cress theory because her last name at one point was Cress, the Cress theory of color confrontation. And I don't want to do her ideas a disservice here, but the shortest version I found online that still keeps the tone of what she discussed, because I read a lot of it, um, was that white people genocided the fuck out of everyone else because white people were psychologically obsessed with their genetic inferiority and their own genetic survival because white people are the goddamn mutants. Okay. Um, this lack of melanin, which only occurs in like very narrow bands of latitude, right? Originally, yeah. um, this lack of melanin led to white people using violence to enact a system that would keep them alive in a global apartheid and thus a creation of a white supremacist world. So the only way that they could survive was to become the top of an artificial world that they created where their lack of melanin was actually prized and protected. Okay. Okay. Because that system was so infused into everything, it became the norm 
and it led to communities of people of color self-destructing as a way of fitting into the white racist uh, and supremacist power structure. Now, I must emphasize that she's saying this in the 1970s. Yeah. Quote, racism, in parentheses, white supremacy, is the local and global power system dynamic structured and maintained by those who classify themselves as white, whether consciously or subconsciously determined. This system consists of patterns of perception, logic, symbol formation, thought, speech, action, and emotional response as conducted simultaneously in all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. The ultimate ultimate purpose of the system is to ensure white genetic survival and prevent white genetic annihilation on Earth, a planet in which the overwhelming majority of people are classified as non-white, black, brown, red, and yellow, by white-skinned people. All of the non-white people are genetically dominant in terms of skin coloration compared to the genetic recessive white-skinned people, end quote. Okay. There's a lot there. There's there. Yeah. She's a doctor and a psychologist or psychiatrist. And she's also transferring expertise, but she's speaking as a black woman who has done a lot of research as a physician. So I would give her more credence into human systems because of psychiatry into sociological stuff that she's talking about and into epigenetics. I would give her more credence than I would give an electronics professor. (laughs) Yes. An electronics professor or, or a, a specialist on VD. Right. You know, just to, just to randomly pick something. Um, and this is like, what, what year are we talking about here? Well, so she wrote that in 1970. The debate okay. that they have on TV is 1974. Okay. It's kind of a fun one to watch, to be honest. I'm sure. I'm um, sure. Yeah. I, I got to say what I find what I find interesting there mm-hmm. is that ties directly into um, the rhetoric, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, um, and I and I'm not using that word in order to try to downplay or discredit sure. what she's saying, but that's that's the word that comes to mind. Um of Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam. There is a separatism. Elijah there. Elijah Muhammad yes. um, you know, preached and Malcolm X early on when he was, you mm-hmm. know, uh uh a proponent the, of Elijah Muhammad. He was a proponent yeah. of Elijah Muhammad, you know, in his very famous interview with um Alex Haley, mm-hmm. he said, uh, you know, look at the nutritional value of brown bread versus white bread. You yeah. know, which, which one, which one is more fulfilling if we, if we, uh, you know, make coffee lighter, we make it weaker. There's a very similar kind of, uh, energy there. Mm-hmm. And, what she has to say about the insecurity underlying building systems of white supremacy. Yes. Is and upholding said systems. And 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 yes, and working yeah. to maintain and uphold said systems is a hundred and ten percent like I'm not I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to take any of that down. Yeah, it's fairly indisputable. It's, yeah. it's pretty, yeah. Like it's, it's pretty clear that it's fear and fragility is literally fear of a black planet, you know, uh, um, but you're right. I mean, you it, know, it, she's got a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. There's she, plenty she has, there. There's, there's a whole lot there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's remarkable that, um, she was even given a platform. Like if, if, if you look at what the media environment was at the time, well, it's 70, um, it, so that she's, she wrote this in 70 and yeah. in 74, she's on TV. She's debating with him. It's yeah. actually, um, it's fairly indicative of what they would have on. Think of anything okay. on the Dick Cavett show. Um, okay. Where All he right. would have yeah, Muhammad Dick Ali would... debating okay. with, with cool in the gang. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, there, there right. was a, a high degree of black separatism that was that will get people watching. And and punditry okay. started to turn into not just we're going to have two informed people, but like Gore Vidal and um, Buckley turned it into, oh, yeah, did you hear what he said, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that's uh, true. Yeah. All right. OK. But yeah, yeah. I, there's, I mean, w- what you said about a lot of meat on that bone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she also had some things sure. to say about homosexuality that uh, do not age well, <laughs> but they're along the same vein, essentially about okay. emasculated people. And so she talked about homosexuality as being an outgrowth of that. You remember it's still, I think at that point, it's still in the DSM. Um, yeah, but and if, if not, it's only been, recently yeah. taken out. So, yeah, and and there's a lot, a lot of ink that has been spilled about uh, homosexuality and and the black experience and and stuff yeah. like that. Like there's there's a lot that I'm not qualified to talk about, other than to mention yeah. in passing that she did yeah. in fact have a lot of homophobic things that she said. Um, yes. Okay. Later on, she has clarified them as well, though. So. Okay. You know, time capsules are time capsules. Yes. So, uh, in 1974, Shockley, the physicist, debated with Welsing, uh, who I think at the time was called Welsing. It might have been her last name was Cress at that time. But again, what's been most consistent. He debated with the physician about race. And he said, so Shockley, the physicist, Mm -hmm. uh, said to the physician, quote, my research leads me inescapably to the opinion that the major cause of the American Negro's intellectual and social deficits is hereditary and racially genetic in origin, and thus not remediable to a major degree by practical improvements in the environment. Wow, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like, just saying, um, dude. Yeah. He then yeah. went on to advocate for voluntary sterilization we've grown yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, by though, paying people to do it we, though. so oh, at least oh, he's okay you would get one thousand dollars for every point below 100 on the iq test i honestly don't know i honestly yeah no you know what you know what yeah. i do that that makes it worse yeah that makes it worse yeah that's yeah okay uh-huh. I was going to say, I don't know if that makes it better. No, you know what? No, I can, I can come to an answer on that. Yeah. That makes it worse. That's. Mm-hmm. And in and, so and... doing, he was insisting that he wasn't racist. Because <laughs> this isn't about race. 
I, right. it just happens to be that I said that thing about black people a second ago, but it's, it's, but it's, it's but it's about, about IQ. IQ. It's right. all about, it's all about IQ. And, and that is a, a standard measure, not in any way racist. Oh, but it's so fucking racist. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, like questions on the IQ test are, you know, use, use terminology. I mean, certainly at that time, I don't know if they still yeah. do, but like notably they use terminology for me yachting for God's yes. sake. I mean, it, it, like, it has been proven time on. and again by experts who are way smarter than the two of us combined yeah. that yes, this shit is racist. Deeply, deeply and incorrigibly yeah. racist. Um, Would you like to hear his reasons for why he's not racist? Oh, oh, do tell. Well, because white people aren't the smartest people in the world. That's the Hebrews and the Orientals. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Now, I paraphrased, but that is the shit that he was saying. (laughs) See, I'm not racist because I think this I'm I'm, I'm going because these two names that are racist other groups. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. Did he actually say did he actually say Oriental? Of course he did. It's he did say Orientals. He did not. I, I did not find anything where he said specifically Hebrews, but he did mention Jews being intellectually superior. Which, uh, congratulations, all it took was uh, god-awful history, and you went from being naturally feeble-minded to intellectually superior. To intellectually, well, because, because, Mm. because Mm -hmm. this is the 1970s now, and we've had since the 1920s for the Protocols of the Elders of Zion and that whole fucking conspiracy theory line of bullshit to to be to be to be passed around yep and and to to filter into the background of everybody's you know preconceived notions and if they're going to be the masterminds who are running everything behind the scenes obviously mm-hmm. they have to be intellectually superior yes fucking oh now uh shot <laughs> So many in, shitty people. So in 1982. many shitty people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. In 1982, Shockley ran for U.S. Senate from California <laughs> in a clown car of what the fuck? Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> and he was a single issue guy. Oh, Do you want to know what his no. issue was? Eugenics? Yeah, stopping dysgenic reproduction. You're fucking kidding me. Nope. He uh, ran. Yep. He ran for Senate. Yes. In 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 the latter days of the twentieth century. Uh huh. On on stopping certain groups of people from reproducing. Uh huh. Like ne- like never mind. So this is seventy. What again? Seventy. This was eighty two. Eighty eighty. Oh. Not, oh, you want to know? Not on the economy, not no. on the environment, no. not on dysgenic. Dysgenic. That's that's the biggest. That's, that's the, the biggest you know not thing. the Cold War. Nope. Not not nuclear proliferation. Nope. Not not. I don't you know. You want to know whose 80, opponents were? 80. I'm I'm gonna find out whether I want to or not. Yeah, most of this is the uh, the Democratic ticket, but some of it's on yeah, the Republican okay. side too. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh. Gore Vidal, Maureen <laughs> Reagan, 
John G. Schmitz, uh, the Republican representative from Orange County and John okay. Birch Society member, Barry Goldwater Jr., <laughs> Tom Metzger, the founder of the White Aryan Resistance and notable Ooh. skinhead neo-Nazi, Jerry Brown, and the eventual winner, Pete Wilson. Clown car of uh-huh. what the fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah, we thought the the post recall election in two thousand two <laughs> was, was a clown car, and was it a was. Clown. It and, was I mean, a let's, fucking let's clown not, car. Let's not lie. Yeah, but this was the uh, yeah. So, so overall, wait. so yeah. Hold on. Hold sure. On. Okay. Um, the eighty two. Yeah, and I. This this shows you how insulated I was from things mm-hmm. as as a seven year old i i don't remember any of that what what percentage of the i know i'm going to regret asking this question what percentage of the vote uh-huh did he get in the end? um i don't remember the actual percentage he got i know that pete okay. wilson won without a majority yeah um well in but... a field of that many competitors that are, yeah yeah um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I remember I saw the raw numbers, and I think he got somewhere like 2,500. Okay. Um, let's okay. see. Uh, I'm I'm looking up the results as we speak, which I hate doing. I I like yeah these figures there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, just just so you know, uh, Jerry Brown got 1.3 million. He got 50.67 percent of the vote. Okay. Um, in the primary. Right, right. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the primary. Um, okay, here's the... Pete Wilson ends up winning against Jerry mm-hmm. Brown. Pete Wilson yeah. does get 51% of the vote in the general election. Okay. I apologize. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, I mean, he, that's right. He ran as a Republican. William Shockley got 0.37% of the vote, um, which okay. was one one hundredth of Pete Wilson's 37% in the primary. So, uh, okay. William Shockley got 8,300 votes, essentially. So. Interestingly enough, that's, um, that's, that's roughly the same number of people as uh got we 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 noted in mm-hmm. in our prior episode that's roughly the same number of people that who Virginia were uh, forcibly sterilized by right. yeah by the state of virginia yeah odd how yeah. these parallels come up in yeah. history he got 8300 people to vote for him to go to congress yes on this yeah not not gun control nope. or or anti gun control right not oh so many shitty people all right okay now overall from 1909 through 1960s a low estimate of around 64,000 people in the united states were forcibly sterilized through legal means there is no way to measure how many this happened to extra legally now, after yeah. the Holocaust, the connection between eugenics, state-sponsored forced, forcible sterilization, and Nazi murder regime was inescapable. And yeah. yet, from the 1960s, the mid-60s through the late 70s, forced sterilizations went from over 64,000 to over 80,000. What the fuck? The focus of eugenics 
had to shift, and so too did their targeted populations. In the first half of the 20th century, the targets for forced sterilization had been people deemed mentally incompetent or morally incorrigible. Both populations were institutionalized by the state in either care facilities or prisons. The second half, from 65 through the mid-90s, saw a targeted increase specifically amongst poor Black, Indigenous, and Latine women who were often unwed mothers. In the 1970s, somewhere between 25 and 45% of Indigenous women aged 14 to 40 were sterilized against their will. It was used as a tool of coercion in states where these groups were, uh, were fighting for equal civil rights. It was nicknamed the Mississippi appendectomy. Um, yeah, to have it colloquial, colloquial to that level. Um, it was recorded up through the 1990s, and I'll discuss more of that on the end of the show. But I'm honestly, all of this has been a setup to tell you about a, a movie that has been a bit of an underground tongue-in-cheek delight that came out in 2006, directed and written by Mike Judge. Idiot. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, the plot. Yeah. A painfully average schmo working for the military ends up in a 500-year hibernation stasis along with a prostitute. Uh, it is notable that this prostitute is a woman of color. Uh, it's Luke Wilson and, um, oh God, Maya Rudolph. Uh, yeah. had her name right on tip. Uh, they awaken 500 years later and the world has changed and gotten dumber to the point where these two are the most reasonable and intelligent people on the planet. He ends up fixing the world by being smart enough to use water on crops, becoming president, marrying the prostitute and going on to father three children, the world's smartest kids. Meanwhile, his Virgil in this Dante's Inferno goes on to have 32 children with eight different women. So that's yeah. the basic plot. Now, to the production. <laughs> Mike Judge was the originator of Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill prior to this movie. And he had gotten a physics degree in 1985 from UC San Diego. Go whatever. Aztecs. Or Aztecs. wait, UC? UC San yeah. Diego? Go. Okay. Tritons. Tritons. Yeah. Now, he quit that life after a few years, and he got into animation right at the perfect time. MTV was looking for a more animated content and his shit was just offbeat enough and Liquid Television featured Frog Baseball, a brief short featuring Beavis and Butthead for the first right. time. Yep. And that debuted them. Since so many people were smoking pot and cloves in the 1990s and watching MTV, <laughs> this was the best possible timing. Pot uh, and cloves. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, I find... I find... It's Spartan interesting. Okay. It's That's a bit of a all right. such a 90s thing. Like, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Can't disagree. Uh, <laughs> Clothes <laughs> and Doc Martens. Like, yeah. 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 That's the smell yeah. of my childhood. Um <laughs> so uh he came up with the original idea for Idiocracy in 1996, which he called at that time 3001. Uh, now, as the new millennium was dawning, he ended up writing a movie about his experiences in the square world using the Y2K bug as the central plot point. We know this movie to be office space. It's offbeat. It's actually one of Jennifer Aniston's first comedy roles after she started Friends. And it's actually a pretty clever movie. And it took off, giving my yeah. judge the cred necessary to push for idiocracy, which was, he, according to his own account, inspired partly by a visit to Disneyland. 
in an interview, he said he saw two mothers with kids in strollers fighting and cursing at each other in front of his family and everyone else. Okay. Now, because Mike Judge continued to roll 20s in his life, uh, he was able to point to the cult following that Office Space had gained, especially the revenue that had been generated in the DVD market, which was just getting off the ground in the early 2000s. As a result, Mike Judge was able to push 20th Century Fox Studios to back the film, despite their saying, okay, we'll back it, but it's not going to have a very wide release. And they deliberately refused to screen it for critics. And I think huh. it's, I, yeah. And, and I think it's actually specifically that aspect of movies in the early 2000s, the DVD market, that made this movie okay for people to watch. Because you watch it alone plucks at your intuition and it feeds into your prejudices that you wouldn't dare share out loud in public or you might not even recognize that you have and the buzz around it then was selective you would promote it to people in your friends and family groups that you also think would sympathize with these ideas and they would be sympathetic audiences to the messages that the film had and while it was campy and it was funny and it poked fun at corporations, which was its own kind of funny thing mm-hmm. um, because a lot of corporations signed on. They're like, yeah. And then it just like, you know, Starbucks is giving out hand jobs. Starbucks is like, yeah. what the fuck? We don't want it. And it's like too late. It's already in there. Yeah. Um, Carl's Jr. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, it had plenty of great lines. Uh, and, and the movie was at its very core a love letter to eugenics. I don't think there's that much in Mike Judge's specific background to make him prone to eugenics. It's not like he's he's the Dilbert author. Um, But I did find it interesting that he ended up writing a eugenics movie as a man with a degree in physics. It just rhymes with Shockley. Yeah, it kind of does. And it more broadly, it rhymes with Gady and Burbank have this expertise in science yeah so i'm gonna take that expertise in science and i'm gonna you know what occurs to me Mm -hmm. based on the you know i got the idea because i saw this thing happening right there is a very deep-seated level of uh not not just i mean we've, we've already we've already gotten into how this becomes a a a white supremacist thing mm-hmm. like that's that's we've already talked about that ad ad depression but um there is a very very powerful classist oh my god look at the trailer trash mm-hmm. like the the people yes. in idiocracy who come in for the most mockery yes are are not people of color mm-hmm. but they are um anybody below a certain uh socioeconomic level. level yep and uh, these are people who are interlopers at disneyland yeah so, you know what are they doing like, mixing like with what, us? look what the look hell are these, these people rooms. yeah you yep. know the 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 level of oh my god the hoi polloi mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so the movie. Oof. All right. Go on. No, let's, oh. I'll 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 come back around to it. Sure. Yeah. So the movie opens with a thesis statement 
a three and a half minute explanation of how we got so dumb starting in the 21st century. Remember, yeah. this comes out in 2006, right? Yeah. Quote, human evolution was at a turning point. Natural selection, the process by which the strongest, the smartest, the fastest reproduced in greater numbers than the rest, a process by which a process which had once favored the noblest traits of man. And then it cuts to a shot of Einstein smoking a pipe, Beethoven, Charles Darwin's portrait now began to favor different traits cut to Joey Buttafuoco, China post WWE celebrity boxing. Most science fiction of the day predicted a future that was more civilized and more intelligent cut to a 1950s color drawing of the future, a white guy in a tunic floating a ball of light hovercrafts, futuristic vehicles, lots of white people in clouds and technology, a monorail. But as time went on, things seemed to be heading in the opposite direction. A dumbing down, cut to literally an amusement park. How did this happen? Evolution does not necessarily reward intelligence. With no natural predators to thin the herd, it began to simply reward those who reproduced the most and left the intelligent to become an endangered species. And and then, and I remember this vividly. Oh, I'm going to uh, go into detail as to the oh, next part. Okay, all right. Then yeah. I won't. Then I won't belabor it. Yeah. Um. But it's going to sound a lot like the Calicax. Oh, the ain't it? Oh, ain't it? Yeah. yeah. But what what struck me as you were as you were describing that, mm-hmm. and I had forgotten it. Um, the bit about science fiction of the time had predicted. And, and the, you know, uh, 1950s images of, of, you know, science fiction utopia, mm-hmm. um, there is that I immediately thought of Gibson and the Gernsback continuum mm-hmm. and the, uh, <laughs> and, and Gibson, uh, uh, writing his master's thesis, about uh uh hard science fiction as as fascist literature and i'm like wow this all is kind of okay well and it ties up neatly together don't it all of this reminds me of like the talks that we had on cyber uh cyberpunk Cyberpunk? this is a cyberpunk movie Mm, it's it's well yes it is and yeah yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a part of the genre that I think many writers in the mm-hmm. genre would look at and go, Yeah, I suppose technically it's our stuff, but fuck it's that one of guy. Those, who let you know, my judge in the room? God yeah, damn it. God what what damn is, it? What what now you can't get him out of the carpet. You know, it's gonna be son that. of a bitch. Yeah, it's it's that because you know, the the wow, yeah, all the elements are there. Yeah. Or, well, a lot of them are. Uh, yeah. It's it's we're we're not utopia just ain't gonna fucking happen. Is solidly right. there, right? Um, it's it corruption, is corruption, point. and yeah. the and, and corporatization, you know, corporatization, all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is to like, cyberpunk what um what Old Town Road is to country. It's one hundred percent that thing, and purists are like. But no, but no, <laughs> but, no. but no, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but okay, all right, yeah, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> yeah, it, it just goes to show that even, even, even the, the best uh genres uh have have black sheep in their in their 
family that suck. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you can use, I mean, Blazing Saddles is a Western. Yeah. You can use this the genre yeah. to subvert itself, you know? Yeah. All right. There. You, yeah. Okay. Now, then it cuts to the, the thing you're talking about, the case study of Trevor and Carol versus Cleavon. I mean, first off, the whiteness of those fucking names, Trevor and Carol. And sure enough, Trevor and Carol want children. Trevor's IQ is listed specifically at 138. Carol's is at 141. Both talk about how important a decision it is to have children and why they're waiting. Then it cuts to Cleavon and Trish, who already have four children. Uh, and one of those children is probably around seven years old already, Cleavon Jr. Yeah. And she's shit. I'm pregnant again. They're also white, but decidedly not middle class. Yeah. Cleavon's IQ is also listed at 84. And he complains about having too many damned kids. He also accidentally lets out that he's got a child with Brittany as well. And that starts a fight between him and Trish. It then cuts back to Trevor and Carol five years later. Still yep. don't have kids. And <sighs> then it cuts back to Cleavon and his child spinning donuts on a motorbike as his neighbor, Brittany, with whom he's had another child, is arguing with his wife, Trish, who's ignoring two children on her stoop. And the one of them is holding an assault rifle so that she can continue to fight with Brittany, with Cleavon trying to loudly keep the peace. Now, by this point, both Brittany and Trish look pregnant again, and Cleavon has made one more child with Brittany. Cut back to Trevor and Carol, who are now struggling with fertility five years later, and it's straining their relationship. And then cut back to Cleavon's family, but his son, Cleavon Jr., who has an IQ of 78, and uh, who is a football star, is now loudly declaring that he's going to fuck all three of the cheerleaders that he's hugging after a football game. Also, Cleavon seems to have stepped out on both Brittany and Trish to make a baby with Mackenzie, while also making two more children with Trish. And the family tree grows. Cleavon Jr. has one child with Kayla, one with Caitlin, and one with Rebecca, and one with Gabriella. And yeah, all the names are absolutely coded. Oh, um, yeah. On the, on the Cleavon side, the following children's names are given. Trevor, Ariana, Tyler, Faith, Brianna, Cletus, with an I... Ariana, Tyrone, Kylie, Dylan, Kaylee, with two E's, Destiny, Mason, and Diego. And then you cut to Cleavon Sr. five years later, and he's gotten into an accident on a jet ski, wherein he smashed his nuts irreparably. But thanks to stem cell research and the new surgery techniques used, quote, the doctor says, quote, Cleavon should, re re regain, should regain full reproductive function, end quote. And as a result of this, he goes on to have Courtney, Antonio, and Jack with Brandy, Seth with Brittany, and Hannah and Noah with Kayla, the girl that Cleavon Jr. had already had with De uh, had Destiny with five years earlier. So he's sleeping with one of the gals that his son had slept with. Meanwhile, he's also gone on to have Jacob, Jennifer, and Alexis with Trish, and Cleavon Jr. has gone on to have Brandon, Sydney with Gabri Gabriella, and Kate with Kayla. Then you cut to five years later, so I think we're at the 20-year mark, yeah. And Trevor died of a heart attack trying to rub out some sperms for in vitro fertilization. Luckily, Carol has some eggs frozen and is just waiting for Mr. Wright, and she looks so sad and desperate. And Cleavon now has produced Luis and Vanessa with Mackenzie, too, as well as Sydney and Faith with Trisha, Aaron and Jack with Brandy, and then it cuts to a truck, uh, a, a, a truck that is just a rockin'. 
uh, and the Cleavon family tree explodes sideways and downward in all ways possible with too many names to count over the next 60 years. It's a film Calicac version of the Cal- much? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then we get to the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's not even that's not even the plot of our film. Right. Um I just want to point out that, yeah, it, that judge judge pointedly mm-hmm. uh makes the the liberals here mm-hmm. uh the the middle to upper middle class, yep, you know, smarties. Yep. Uh according to IQ scales, which again we've already yeah, it's a we, bullshit. We've already established okay. it's, yeah. it's a bullshit. So we're comparing thing. apples to apples. Yeah. Apples, apples to apples. Uh, he he puts both of them in the uh, one thirty to one forty four category, which is moderately gifted, mm-hmm. acknowledged as moderately gifted according to you know sure. psychologists who use this stuff. Um, and uh, Cleavon mm-hmm. starts out at 80, 89? 85. 85. Yeah, that is that is the bottom end. Mm-hmm. of average intelligence according yes. to this to this system and then his son is uh, in the borderline mental disability category yep um that's not how that works right like y- you and i both have have the the okay we're going to teach you just enough psychology so you you have a have an understanding of of like you know, this this will help you. Supposedly, this will help you. You know, learn how to teach. Mm-hmm. So let's let's you know. So so what you and I already know about mm-hmm. cognitive development and if it, that's we're already in bullshitville. Yes, like that's that that is not how that works. But if you remember your Punnett squares, if you yeah. remember peas being wrinkled or smooth, if you remember brown eyes and blue eyes if you remember all that kind of shit this intuitively seems correct yeah so that is yeah, yeah. so yeah it's so much like the calcac study that it's shameful and <laughs> and and then we and then we get to the movie yeah uh, and then and then we start yeah. the plot of the movie which yeah. which just gets worse from yeah. there so yeah. you get you get uh, the most painfully average and apathetic soldier played by Luke Wilson, Joe Bowers. That's right, average Joe. Yep. Um, he's named as remarkably average by scientists who are studying him. He sits at the exact top of every single bell curve in their presentation, and the woman that they've chosen for this experiment, and the experiment is uh, hibernation essentially, like freeze yeah. your best soldiers until you need them, right? Yeah. So in vitro, but without the the, in the yeah. breeding, right? Yeah. Um. So they're like, let's test it on average people first, right? Yeah. So, I mean, expendability much? So, yeah. uh, he's at the the top, but then they also get to see what it's like on women, and they can't find a woman who's that average, so they find a prostitute. Um, and there are several pictures with her pimp, and it's very black exploitation. It's very oh, immensely, or, or yeah, dolomite. And yeah. a white scientist uh, square who is using the N-word without the hard R several times. Now, yeah, of course, gross. yeah, that scientist. And of course, that's funny in 2006, you see, because there he is using that word. I mean, Vince McMahon used it once to the same exact effect, actually. He yeah. said, my N uh, and walked by Booker T and Booker T is like, tell me I did not just hear him say that. It was played for laughs. And yeah. 
it's 2006. Okay. Yeah. So, of course, that scientist got busted for running a prostitution ring on the base, which caused the whole base to be closed out of shame, which I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Considering not how any of that operates. West yeah. Point still exists. Um, and they had several cadets running prostitution rings out of the nearby hotel mm. um, uh, years and years ago. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it got it got closed out of shame. The project got forgotten about after they had been hibernated in their pods. And scientists, instead of looking for ways to improve humanity, continued continued focusing on how to conquer hair loss and prolong erections. Now, this is pretty funny shot across the bow. Yeah. Meanwhile, the population exploded and intelligence continued to decline until humanity was incapable of solving even its most basic problems. End quote. Yeah. Now, because of this, it leads to the great garbage avalanche of whatever fucking year it becomes. Yeah. And uh, Joe's coffin is in that garbage avalanche, and it slides all the way down to the apartment of Dax Shepard's character, Frito Pendejo. Where uh, Dax Shepard's character, Frito Pendejo, is watching a huge television and sitting on a very well-apportioned lazy boy, complete with a tube for drinking whatever it is he's drinking, a toilet, and really good speakers. And he's getting ready to watch Ow My Balls uh, right. on, the, on the Violence Channel when Joe comes out of his pod. Now, yeah. the show is surrounded by flashing advertisements all over the screen as Pendejo watches the preview of the riveting show. And I'm pretty sure he's eating nacho cheese with his fingers or some sort of marshmallow cream. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's something yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And Luke Wilson's character, Joe, starts talking and Pendejo is like, shut up, I'm watching TV. And eventually assaults Joe, throwing him out of the house, um, ignoring that his house has been smashed open by a garbage pile because he's yeah. busy watching TV. Uh, and then we get to follow Joe taking in the new world, right? Yeah. Some brands retain their similarities and others have devolved. For instance, Fuddruckers is, is hosting a child's birthday party. Uh, but it's now called Buttfuckers. Yep. Uh, quote, the English language had deteriorated into a hybrid of hillbilly, valley girl, inner city slang, and various grunts. End quote. So, so yeah. okay. Let's yeah. let's pause it right there yep. for just half a second. Mm -hmm. um, list those one, one more time. Hillbilly. Yeah. Valley girl. Yeah. Inner city slang. Yeah. And various grunts. And various grunts. Right. Okay. So, so, and again, we mm -hmm. come back to um, the classism, and now, and now we're getting racist. Yeah. Um, which you know, is further compounded by the fact that as Joe is walking down the street, the denizens that he gets attacked by or chased off by are typically out of shape and people of color. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, being overweight is equated with being dumb consistently, mm -hmm. consistently throughout the film. To get to the hospital with that, yeah, yeah, um, and um, sorry, I'm I'm remembering the hospital scene. Yeah, and yeah. and much much like in Blazing Saddles, the you want some bane scene, right? That you put this one in your mouth, you put this one under your arm, you stick this one up your butt, right? No wait, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Right, like 
you know, the movie, the movie is awful, but that's also still hilarious. Funny. Both things like, are true. Yeah. And, and right now I'm feeling intensely shamed about <laughs> finding any part of this movie funny, but like that was, that was like gross out comedy gold. There's right plenty there. of it that was funny. You know, it's um, also wrong, but it was all also funny. Deeply you know? wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the immense smugness, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, speaking as a graduate of a UC school, mm-hmm. um, like, dude, our shit stinks just like everybody else's. Like, I want to, I want to, I want to talk to judge about like, you, you understand that you, 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 you aren't somehow like, like there, there is no, there is no moral uh, uh, value yeah. associated with with having the kind of education that you got. Like right. that's that's not that's not actually a thing. That that is not actually virtue. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody needs to tell you this because yep, the fuck yeah. All right, yeah, and and again, it's dysgenic. The yeah. wrong people mated. Yeah. Yeah, consistently over over. for yeah. over a long period of time. Five hundred years. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and the thing is, if like this was a Malthusian thing, mm-hmm. like if it was just you know, um, too many people were having too many children for this many, and and like you know, you're you're making a dystopian movie about like mm-hmm. you know, make room, make room, Soylent Green, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're adapting the Sheep Look Up or something like that, sure then okay but that's not that's not what we're talking about here nope. it's it's it is the the emphasis is very clearly on these are the wrong kind of people right and they've and, been allowed to breed for generations and this yeah. is what you get yeah yeah so joe goes to the hospital and the receptionist another person of color hits the icon button to have the automated system tell him where to go after being confused by what he's saying yeah. Um. She never speaks to him. She goes back to being numbly distracted, and it kind of the the system that she's using kind of looks like what McDonald's cash registers were looking like at one point in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Which I still maintain is actually a pretty good system because now you don't have to worry about language barriers and it allows more yeah. people access to the economy. Yeah. Uh. He goes for a drink. Joe goes for a drink of water, and we unlock the Brondo subplot. Right. Yeah. Uh, But what I found interesting was that the doctor he spoke to about it was a person of color, seemed to be Polynesian coded, um, was also fat and didn't know why he'd want to drink water, quote, like in the toilet. And then the doctor goes away giggling at the idea of a man drinking from the toilet. The doctor does. This is a doctor. And eventually Joe gets to meet with a doctor who's smoking what appears to be a spliff and uses the word essay. To refer to Joe. Uh, he's a white guy. And yeah. the doctor tells him his, quote, shit's all retarded because it's 2006. And that was that was a common word in the zeitgeist. Yeah. It's something edgy people use, but I found it on episodes of ER as, as yeah. late as 2005. Yeah. 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 Um, your shit's fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's okay, though. My My first wife was started she's a pilot now right yeah that whole exchange Mm -hmm. 
Dane Cook was the number one comic in the nation by a lot of metrics in 2006. If nothing <laughs> else, he was on everyone's radar. Uh, he yeah. won platinum in 2003 and would double platinum in 2005 on SN- was on SNL. He recorded his first HBO special in 2005. He also, um, oh no, no, the the doctor uh, also uses the word fag repeatedly. Um, and it comes out that Joe is unscannable, which sends uh, Joe running because the doctor freaks out about it. Yeah. Um, because everybody has a uh, no a, scan, yeah. no scan. Everybody yeah. has a, a barcode now. And yeah. back on the street, Joe is surrounded by people of colored and uh, people of color and billboards. Um, the number one movie in the country was a movie called Ass. Now, eventually. Uh, Joe happens upon a mom who gets gassed by a Carl's Jr. kiosk for vandalism. Uh, she is deemed an unfit mother and her children are remanded to the custody of Carl's Jr. Then the police show up and find Joe and arrest him for not paying his hospital bill uh, or for having or and for having no tattoo. The narrator then uses the R word to describe the state of justice. Turns out his lawyer is Frito Pendejo. Yep. So, again, there's just some echoes that are noticeable here. Somebody whose children have been taken away from her, remanded mm-hmm. to the custody of whatever. The lawyer is a guy who is not going to represent you well. Yeah. Um, his prosecutor plays to the crowd entirely. And his lawyer, Frito, uh, turns on Joe to also play to the crowd and get him declared guilty. Meanwhile, the prostitute named Rita is looking for her pimp, scared to death of him. She uses yeah. 411 to find him, and it turns out uh, that, um, oh, God, I forget. I didn't write down his name. Do you remember her pimp's name? Oh, no, I don't remember. Okay. Well, it turns out there are now 9,726 listings for people of his name. Yeah. Um, and then she gets approached by a young man of color whom she scams into paying her without providing the sex. Okay. Even, even the computers are stupid in, in this world. Mistaking Joe for being named not sure. Yes. And he has to take an IQ test to get into prison. And he sees people who are way dumber than he is. And he's starting to notice. And mm-hmm. again, the representation here is very diverse. So when it's stupid people, it's very diverse. Lots of people of color in this dystopian, everyone is dumb, criti- criminal future. Yes. And then Joe escapes prison by simply telling them that he's supposed to get out that day. Okay. Now, when Joe comes back to Pendejo's apartment, he finds himself watching or he finds Pendejo watching the masturbation network, uh, which, again, what was one yeah. of the number one causes of institutionalized Irish people in California yeah. in the 1800s. Yeah. So. Joe tries to explain time travel to Bendejo, who struggles struggles to keep up with basic math. Uh, they make mm-hmm. their way to Costco, which is staffed and filled with people of color. And within the Costco are tons and tons of sex worker-based businesses. But from here, Joe gets arrested and brought to the White House, which is staffed by really stupid people. Yep. The president himself is a black man named Dwayne Camacho. Now, real quick, it's 2006. There have been no black presidents in the United States yet. It is a trope that this is how we know we're in the future. But also, this movie is about, look how bad it's gotten. Mm. Yeah. Now, Dwayne Camacho is also a professional wrestler, which, again, looking down on the vulgar arts, 
who doesn't know much of anything other than how to be a professional wrestler, complete with giving promos, having an entrance, automatic weapon use, and singing like a preacher. When he meets Joe, he literally feels Joe's head and comments on its size. I expected your head to be bigger. Yeah, okay. That's some phrenological shit right there. Yeah, Yeah. some total phrenological shit right there. Yeah. So while Camacho is giving his speech about how shit's fucked up and it's been fucked up for a while, but I've got a plan, he gets interrupted, of course, by South Carolina. Uh, But the problem is that essentially shit's fucked up. Crops aren't growing and the president has given Joe about a week to get it sorted out and fixed because he doesn't understand the the timelines or how that. Yeah. Of course, any and all discussion that uh, Joe tries to get them motivated and moving is met with the dumbest Beavis and Butthead comments from the the cabinet. Mm -hmm. Um, He becomes the secretary of the interior. Um, I believe the secretary of education won the job in a uh, contest. Yep. Uh, When Joe discovers that the crops are being watered by Brondo because the corporation bought the FDA and FCC, meaning that everything that took water actually uh, was being forced to take Brondo. And this is the part that's satire, but it's almost immediately falls back to people being super dumb. And then in a tender moment, Joe asks, how'd the world ever get like this? And they have an uninformed discussion about Einstein building the atomic bomb because he realized how dumb everyone around him was. (laughs) The next day, Brondo's stock drops to zero, laying off literally half the country. And so an angry and dumb mob shows up to the White House and again, largely led by people of color, wanting Joe to die. Um, Now, the news station, again, good satire, is Fox. Um, yep. And it has a topless beefcake and a woman who is both thicker and more modestly dressed than what we see nowadays uh, on Fox. Um, their main reporter, Formica Davis, uh, reported on Joe's trial and sentencing to death by monster truck, colloquially known as rehabilitation. Uh, and when Joe's facing his fate, he tells Rita to go back in time to tell people to go read stuff. Now, he was okay. a librarian, but there you go, right? And when it's time for his rehabilitation, the announcer is announcing in a very cheech kind of voice. Uh, that's actually Mike Judge. Really? Yeah, which is its own layer of problems. Yeah. Anyway, it's a race against time. Will Rita get to inform everyone that the water plan worked before Joe gets executed? Of course, the biggest monster truck everywhere is too big to fit into the arena, meaning that Joe could stand a chance. He winds up defeating both of his executioners, but the third one comes back at the end and has a flamethrower. But luckily, they get a camera out to the crops to show that a week of water has been good for crops, and Joe gets pardoned by the president. The movie ends with Joe getting elected president, and he started culture back up again. They had three children, the smartest people in the world, and Pendejo took eight wives and made 32 kids, 32 of the dumbest kids ever, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Now, the movie didn't do much in theaters at all, but in the DVD market, it made more than 20 times its box office. $9 million in DVD sales. And again, I think that's how it flies under the radar for quite a while with how eugenicist it is. People shared it with those they loved. People, like I said, like before, 
people who share the same prejudices and are thus validated and go unchallenged. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it was shared with them because they're on the smart side of things, not on the dumb side of things. Yeah. And people make glib jokes, which I myself am guilty of having made of. It yep. wasn't supposed to be a documentary. Uh, yes. The movie plays on our prejudices toward other idiots who'd play the lottery while confirming that we are special and good enough and smart enough to actually win the lottery. Yeah. Or people who speed but get mad when someone else passes them by. I don't think the movie does that on purpose. I think Mike Judge is falling over backward via intuition into propping up eugenics the same way that most of us do. He's holding Caulfield. He thinks he's exceptional and most of us are dumb, just like the rest of us do. Mm -hmm. He's he's a special snowflake, just like everybody else. Exactly. And I have evidence to back this up. Presently, 73% of Americans think they're above average drivers. (laughs) <laughs> by comparison yeah. Europe, 66% of Europeans think that they're just average drivers okay 65% of Americans think they're smarter than average I couldn't find a similar study of Europeans to continue this comparison unfortunately Okay, but a recent study showed that 17% of Americans actually think that they could beat a chimpanzee in an unarmed fight to the death Those those people don't know don't don't understand about muscle attachment points and and just actually how fucking terrifying a full-grown chimpanzee actually is like part of that um here's here's the thing i'm I'm not gonna say that that that's so much exceptionalism as it's just that they they don't they don't know chimpanzee they they have a set of assumptions about mm-hmm. what a chimpanzee is like no I, I I mean I get where you're going with that, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the same energy. The number of Brits who think that they could defeat a chimpanzee is far less than seventeen percent. Yeah, okay. I can I can see that. Fourteen percent of Americans think that they could beat a kangaroo, which means that more people think that they could beat a chimp to death with their bare hands over a kangaroo. I think I think there's a bias against the chimp because people see chimps in in media mm-hmm. in in a way that makes them makes them seem, you know, like little like like they're they're like little people, but they're not as sure, they're not sure. they're not as smart they're as we smaller, are and they're and just, I beat they're my little child and and I he beat, yeah, fight you know. Back, so, yeah. Yeah. 6% of people you know. think they could beat a grizzly bear in unarmed combat. See, those 6% are, are either, here's the deal, I think of that 6%, mm-hmm. 2% of that 6%, so mm-hmm. so hold off 4%, sure. 2% are, are Zoomers who are taking the piss, who are trolling. Okay. Okay. The other 4% are, are narcissists. They're psychotic. They, they don't. They don't, they just, yeah. A grizzly bear is up to eight feet tall and over 800 pounds. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. I mean, 6% of Americans are like, no, I could fucking take it. I could, I could, I could. And that didn't surprise me. What surprised me was that 2% (laughs) more than that. So 8% thought that they could defeat an elephant or a lion. (laughs) 
more people thought they could in hand-to-hand hand combat. Hand combat. I will beat a lion to death. I don't think win. they understood the question. I I think I. Uh, now here's the thing: it's not a majority. Think, Obviously, it's not a majority. Am, but, it is single digits. Yeah, but everyone knows that we can picture the kind of person who thinks that they could beat a grizzly or an elephant or a lion or a wolf or a gorilla. And it's yeah. not that far a jump from thinking of that person and thinking that they're more likely to breed than us who recognize when we're overmatched by nature's all-stars of murder. And it's not okay. it's not that far a leap from there to thinking that the world would be better off if stupid people didn't breed. And congratulations, we're now the target audience for people who said Idiocracy isn't supposed to be a documentary, myself included. Yeah. A defining feature of American culture has always been a sense of exceptionality and exceptionalism. And a result of that feature is that when we look up and down the line at who's on the good side and who's on the bad side, we always see ourselves on the good side. And that nature, that baked-in cultural feature, is so easily weaponized that we are entertained by movies that say without saying, movies that unsubtly nudge us toward the idea that inferiors shouldn't fuck and have kids. It's why society didn't burn down the Mississippi government buildings and hospitals when it came to light that Fannie Lou Hamer was sterilized in 1961 against her will and knowing consent when she went in to get rid of a uterine tumor. She was a civil rights worker who, yeah, uh, and she she went in for a uterine tumor and she had a Mississippi appendectomy in 61 against her will and against her knowing consent. And nobody burnt that building to the ground. After all, the whole reason for forced sterilization against someone's will in Mississippi was based on there being an uneducated poor person. And isn't that the humane thing to do for a poor black woman who is fighting for civil rights? After all, she might not have adopted her four daughters, two of whom were her deceased daughters, if that were the case. And it's certainly why people didn't rise up to do all that I said, plus add salt to the land. When her daughter Dorothy died at 22 because the hospital refused to admit her due to her mother's civil rights activism at that time. So much neck punching. Mm -hmm. Because the other side so of exceptionalism. Many shitty people. The other side of exceptionalism is finding ways that others aren't. The reason I would never get in a car accident at that busy intersection is because I know better than to speed through there, unlike those idiots. And this one time I did speed through there, but I had a good reason, unlike those other morons. And the reason that I don't get beaten down by the police is because I don't break the law in a way in front of them, etc. And the reason that I'm not living poor is because I waited for the right time to have children. If only others had done what I've done. And the problem with society is that there's no accountability for our choices, you see. Carol did the right thing, and she has no kids to carry on her legacy. But Cleavon didn't, and he's got dozens of progeny who are out there fucking up the gene pool by putting their unworthy genes into the system. And if I keep thinking that way, I can never have to worry about the actual policies that we put into place because the unfair ones won't hit me, and the fair ones just show how exceptional I am. 
in a world of jukes, I sure am glad I'm a Davenport. Mm. Idiocracy proves it. I need I need another Get beer. Drink up. Yeah. I yeah. So there you go. The part that bothers me the most mm-hmm. about the movie mm-hmm. is at the time mm-hmm. in 2006, I did not I I did not interrogate any of that. No, no. Like I into. swallowed yeah. yeah. And and wow. Just I mean, it wasn't until recently that people didn't start relooking at that movie. Yeah, that's true. And again, I said things like it's not yeah. supposed to be not a supposed documentary to be, yeah. as late as twenty nineteen. Yeah. But Oh my God! Yeah, it's uh, and again, uh, maybe even as late as twenty twenty two. I mean, if be. I'm if I'm being I, honest, it's entirely yeah. likely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But and it's it's a it's a it's, it's a version of patterned on the wallpaper. Yeah. Because, well, you know, I mean, I'm not coming from a place of of wanting to deprive anybody of their rights. Like, I'm not. I'm not. But like we that's, can all that's agree not, that some that's, people shouldn't. Shouldn't. I mean, like you know, we. Yeah, like, no. We. <laughs> Do you see how bad? We, like how easy we, that is. We can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. It is. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um. It's there. There is this. There is this. There's this stripe, uh, or this this streak would be a better term in evangelical uh theology. Mm-hmm. That wants to blame the devil, right? Wants like wants to wants to put the devil in everything in the world, like you know, and and it's 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 frankly it gets it gets manichaean. It's like you know the the devil is like this anti god figure, and he's everywhere, and the material world is inherently evil, and right. like I mean you know it it leans in that direction really sure. hard. And of course, for those unfamiliar, uh, Manichaeanism um, was was defined by the Catholic Church uh, as a heresy in the in the early Church, uh, because you know the devil is not equal to God in Orthodox Christianity. Sure. But but this there is this there is this whole whole streak within within evangelicalism that that you know puts this out there, and. What is impossible for us to escape is our own natural intellectual laziness. Mm-hmm. And and that is the devil that I think we need to look out for. If that makes sense. Yeah. Just like we, we, yeah. we, you know, the, because, because there is something to be said for, you need to be suspicious of the easy answer. You need to be suspicious of the, of the easy way out. You need to be suspicious of the, well, you know, it's not really that big a deal. Simple solutions to complex problems are never, ever anything other than a a grift. Yeah. And a grift and a, and a really bad idea. 
Right. You know, um, and the the seductiveness that that gets attributed to you know the devil and his wiles it's not it's not necessarily you know in anything anything you know sinister like that it's just the fact that for evolutionary reasons shortcuts are something we we groove on mm-hmm. psychologically and if we can think up an easier way to do something or if our brain can find an easier way to connect to ideas that's what we're going to do mm-hmm and that's that's a big part of the problem with this kind of idea. Yep. Because the number of times you've pointed to, you know, I don't agree with anything these people are saying, but I can see where it's intuitive. Uh-huh. Because we can observe dog breeding. We can observe right. citrus trees. Right. You know, and like, pardon me, sorry about that. But um, when, when you know, geneticists actually point out, okay, no, let's let's look at the length of the genome of this other mm-hmm. thing you're talking about, and let's mm-hmm. look at the length of the genome of a human being. Well, there's, again, there's connecting so much more. Actual, yeah. Well, yeah, but but just just aside from not everything is genetic. There's there's look at the complexity of the system you're talking about. Yep. And anybody with a background in, in genetics is going to say genes, you can have a gene for something, but if that gene isn't like influenced by the environment in order to be expressed, it doesn't matter. You know, and there are, there are so many like chaos there. We get into chaos theory when we, when we start having to talk about this stuff, because you can't, predict what's going to happen well and see even if let's i you know my favorite tactic in in any kind of argument is everything you said is true even if there Mm -hmm. is a dumb gene and it activates yeah 80 of the population okay explain to me how that means they shouldn't have kids yeah like you know yeah go ahead there's there's a like yeah there's a on no from there is there is a paradigmatic mm-hmm. idea or a paradigmatic difference mm-hmm. that unless you are are a uh, Jeremy Bentham uh, shit utilitarian right unless you're looking at a utilitarian standpoint. Okay, no, the highest good is is that which creates the greatest good for the greatest number, right? Mm-hmm. Utilitarianism. Unless you are 100% dedicated to that, to the detriment of individual human dignity. Right. This is this is this whole all of this that we've been talking about is a bad fucking idea. Well, and I've I've yeah. said it repeatedly over the course of the time we've been talking about this, if you zoom out far enough, you could justify lots of shit. Right. And and, again, and like most of the appeals to these kinds of thinking, including the utilitarian aspect, are appeals to intuition. Mm-hmm. It, it is appeal to your particular prejudice. And there are a lot yeah. of them. And, you know, yeah. I have a friend who's a comedian who says that um, he never says I'm not racist. He says I struggle with racism. 
Okay. And I think that's a really good way to put it. I I struggle with I I will agree. I also struggle with racism. I also struggle with like elitism. Because oh, I have time. put in a lot of work. Huge, big time. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is so easy for me to find common cause with. Oh, Jesus Christ! I I hope they don't have children. Like, you know, it, it, it's it's mm-hmm. so in, intuitively easy. It is so n- almost knee jerk easy. Um, yeah. because I somewhere deep down I think that I am exceptional, and that they are not. You know, again, if you're exceptional, you're looking for ways that other people aren't. Yeah. And I mean, like, there's nothing about the eugenicist argument that doesn't disgust me. There's also nothing about the eugenicist argument that feels wrong on a visceral level. Yeah. It. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it all intuitively makes way too much sense. You can. Yeah. It's wrong. It's, it's horribly wrong morally and, and ethically out. Yeah. It's inhumane. It's monstrous. It's, right. it's yeah, it's evil. Like, yeah. but it's yeah. intuitively very seductive for me. Yeah. Well, and it might not be for other people. There might be plenty of people who are listening to this. who are like, wow, Damien. <laughs> and you're a prick, uh, uh, you yeah, know, and fair. yeah, fair assessment. Um, but like, you it's, know, it's not okay. I, yeah. I fully admit that, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. well. The thing is, mm-hmm. what, what you what you said what you said a, a couple of minutes ago is mm-hmm. is I think for anybody who is who who is approaching it from the point of view of of seeing themselves as one of the educated, one of the I'm one of the smart ones, right? It's an easy answer, right? You know, if we, if, you know, to, to just about any, any social problem you want to come up with, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, overpopulation, poverty, you name it. Like what I've taught lessons on overpopulation that I'm just like looking back at now going, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, you know, um, and, and when when you look you know uh there is there is a non-zero overlap between you know environmentalists and people who who fall into the trap of believing this stuff mm-hmm. you know uh there are there's yeah ecofascism and there's a there's a whole uh sub splinter faction within with environmentalism um i don't remember whether they're called dark green or whatever who you know basically advocate for no the human population needs to shrink dramatically and whatever we got to do to make that happen is the best thing for the planet which is like on the one hand i understand again i understand the chain of logic that leads to it and that's monstrous like Mm -hmm. you know um and 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 again these 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 are not uh uh traditional you know, right-wing authoritarian fascists, they're coming at it from a progressive left-wing direction, but they're still winding up in the same kind of place. Because supremacy is supremacy regardless of... Yes, regardless. Yeah, regardless of of the politics behind it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and again, this all comes down to it's, it's an easy answer to a problem that is very thorny and is going to be very hard to solve and will require hard work and 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 creativity and a lot of other and a lot of other stuff 
Mm-hmm. Well, okay, no, but the but the easy answer is this thing, you know. And we want easy answers. <laughs> you know, we crave them. Yes, we do. And and it's exhausting to yeah. have to fight against the easy answer. But you know, um you know, coming at it from a Catholic point of view, it's like, well, I can take the easy answer or I can keep my soul intact. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you, you know, know, again, if if the if the problem is complex and the solution is simple, be aware. Um, and if the solution is couched in your own exceptionability, mm-hmm. run. Yeah, like it's it's not. It, I haven't seen it be constructive yet. Uh, don't get me wrong. Sac State is a wonderful college. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have friends who teach at the high schools and the middle schools named after these people. They have yeah. done great work. And thank goodness for the monies that those guys dedicated to that. Bummer that they also dedicated the monies toward uh, all those other horrible things. <laughs> toward, toward all this white supremacy that, and other that's horrible the real shit. Problem. Yeah. 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 But it's also baked into, I mean, what was the PE curriculum from the 1920s forward? It was square dancing. Yeah. Like it's all, it, it all connects, you know? And, yeah. and yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm not, I don't think that there's a unified field theory to most things in history because history is complex. It's a series of decisions mm-hmm. made up by people who are reacting to decisions made up by people who are reacting to decisions made up in on and on. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a Fleetwood Mac song, you know, writ large. Nice, nice. Um, but at the same time, supremacy does seem to be a really common through thread that weaves its way through all the things. And not yeah. because I'm looking for the pattern in the wallpaper. But yeah, it's in everything. But, but it shows up. Yeah. It shows up in Swedish pop. Like... <laughs> You remember, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, and and you know? and weirdly, and I haven't I haven't done anything about this because the research would be kind of tedious, but uh, weirdly, it it winds up showing up in in the background of of Japanese media too, which you wouldn't expect it to, because you know not I, white I, people, I, but I mean, like, if you look at the Japanese uh, imperial zeitgeist of the yeah, 20s and yeah. 30s. Yeah, I, I, the way they treated the Koreans after 1905, and mm-hmm. and and, and I can yeah. kind of see it, but but you know, yeah, just just to the to the level of ubiquity, right? Like, yeah, you know, so yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right, <laughs> cool. You're welcome. So, <laughs> So, I just finished this beer, and now before I go to bed, I feel like I need another one, but that's probably a bad idea. Well, instead of that, let's talk about what you're going to recommend to people. Um, What am I going to recommend to people? I'm not going to make a recommendation uh, right now other than um, go, go find something. Go find something affirming. Go find something... <laughs> Go find something warm and cuddly and, and fuzzy that that makes you happy. Uh, because if you, get, this... if you got Netflix, there's a wonderful series called like Art in Nature or something to that effect. Okay, 
it's not even a documentary. It's just people going to really cool places with drones and filming it in really okay. good definition stuff. My kids and I nice. watched a bunch of swans in Japan for like 10 minutes and we were mesmerized. That it sounds cool. really meditative. It was nice. You know, <laughs> we watched a crab crawling up a tree in Tahiti. Oh, that's cool. For like five minutes. Yeah, it was right. Nice. So, yeah. so there you go. Go watch uh, Art right. in Nature or whatever. There it's we called. go. All right. So, yeah. And that's kind of you giving me a recommendation to give, but I'll take it at this yeah. point because, yeah, I'm. I'm actually I'm gonna. Done. I'm gonna drive the nail home and recommend Idiocracy. <laughs> now that now that you have four episodes of background, treat it like those highlights, uh, pictures. Where you're like, yeah. oh, where's the wooden spoon? Oh, where's the skateboard? Oh, where's the... <laughs> go find? Okay, all the there you go. Yeah, turn it, turn it into, movie. turn it into yeah. an active, yeah. like interrogate the film as you're watching it. Okay, yes. that's that's you know what, that's that's uh, redemptive. I think so. Maybe not redemptive. I, I, it's instructive. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. There you like, go. That, it's okay to be. Turns... It's, it's okay to find shit funny. It. Yeah. You know, yeah. the whole bit about but... ass being a movie is pretty goddamn funny. Um, the yeah. fact that, yeah. you know, Cleavon, uh, fucks his son's girlfriend is yeah. funny on is... several levels. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, oh yeah, Costco, yeah. I got my law degree there. Right. Or like, I don't think we have time for a hand job. You know, yeah. those things are funny. Those are all very, very funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but the also subtext sucks. Yeah. It's also, you know, terrible. yeah. So, all right. Cool. Can you be found? I cannot. Okay. Am, I'm on I threads am, at Duh Harmony. All right, cool. And we are still, yeah. for the time being, on Twitter at Geek History Time. We can be found at wubbawubbawubba.geekhistoryoftime.com. And you are listening to us. So you have either found us uh, on our website or on uh, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, or Spotify. Uh, wherever you found us, please, please give Damien the five stars he deserves for putting himself <laughs> through all of the emotionally arduous research he did here. Um, and if I didn't say it already, make sure you subscribe. Um, and where, where is there any place you can be found other than uh, which you, already, you know, you already mentioned yeah, threads. Stick to threads. The Harmony and, on uh, threads. Harmony. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, ow, my balls!